Welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name's Zach, and this week I have a lot of people here. Let's start with my co-hosts. I have Mark and Steve today. Mark, how are you? I'm doing okay. Got a little bit of a cold, so I'm probably going to sound like uh, like I have a cold. But other than that, we can, we can, I'm okay. We can fix it in post. Fix it in post, yeah. And by we, we mean you. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Steve, how are you today? Barely skippy. Good, good. Skipping is good for, for some cardio, so uh, keep that skipping up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today, we are also joined by Brendan Carrion and Adam Sink of Full Metal RPG. Brendan, how are you today? What up? I'm doing great, man. How are you? You're good. I'm very, very good. Excellent. And Adam? Doing excellent. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Well, this is what I like to call a panel podcast. More or less. We've we got a bunch of different questions from all over, and uh, we're just going to talk about some stuff. Well, I want to start off I want to start off by uh, welcoming our, our sister show, Full Metal RPG. And as our sister show, uh, I just want to say, um, stop touching me. This is my side. You stay on your side. <laughs> ah, he's touching me. Oh Are we there God. yet? <laughs> we aren't there yet. Uh, <laughs> so, you know. Oh, nice. I feel like the dad keeping these two kids apart from each other. But Don't make me turn this podcast around. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're taking us oh, to Dairy man. Queen after the podcast, aren't you? There we go. Yes, Mark. Yeah, I'm looking forward yes. to the Dairy Queen. <laughs> oh, man. Great start already. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but like we often do, I think we're going to start this week with our segment, Wish of the Week. Wish of the week, we talk about anything we are excited for, from movies to RPGs to board games to video games to whatever we want to talk about. Uh, let us start with Adam, because he's never been on our podcast before. Adam, do you have something you're excited for? Uh, I'm excited. I just got my new Beneath the Inverted Church box, so uh, oh, nice. I got tear into that sucker. I'm really looking forward to it. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, haven't, I haven't picked up mine, but... Yeah, Justin's just like, yeah, whatever. Just <laughs> give me money whenever, or I'll send it your way. <laughs> yeah, mine showed up this week, so it's re it's really nice. I I got the the box set, so pretty pumped. Beautiful. Yeah, both both books, the monster manual. Mm -hmm. What what all else does it come with? Uh, it's got some minis. It's got some tokens and some little like uh some dice, and then it's got uh all three of the books. So I actually now have a second copy of beneath a second hardcover so <laughs> yeah yeah that's gonna be my case too uh are they all hardcovers um no they're not all hardcovers no just the the beneath one i believe the the first one's the hardcover the other two are, are soft covers beautiful beautiful uh let's skip over to brendan 
Uh, you know what? Um, I'm stoked for this week is um, on Friday. Uh, Adam and I had our uh, our Friday night role playing club meeting, and uh, yeah. the homie brought me brought me a gift. He found a uh, uh, Stormbringer like core book, the the one that that used to come inside of like the old box set in like 1981. Like the box set was gone, and so like the maps or whatever the fuck else was in there it wasn't in there, but the core book was in there. And the core book's really all you need to play. And, oh, my God, dude, I was reading it last night. It's, like, it's so fucking good. I mean, I just, like, it's, like, it's like it's like this uh, primordial role-playing that, like, it's so OSR and so legit. It's got that Ken St. Andre writing, that Steve Perrin writing, and you're just, like, I mean, I just want to run it. I want to run it, like, right now. But, I mean, you know, that that that's my life. I've got, like, a million games in no time, so. Exactly, podcast life. I wish I wish I had time for for some Stormbringer. I think this is my wish of the week. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, Mark, what are you excited for? Um, I found a Kickstarter this week for a game called Flying Circus, and I was a little disappointed that wasn't Monty Python based. But uh, <laughs> looking into it, it's a uh, kind of like biplanes and World War One era type stuff. Um, but with a fantasy twist. So you got biplanes fighting dragons, which sounds uh, pretty exciting. I love like old biplanes and that, that kind of era. So um, that's exciting. But the other thing that really uh, drew my attention was that it's a, uh, um, using the uh, powered by the apocalypse game engine, um, oh, which uh, I know that you guys have mentioned a lot on uh, full metal RPG. And I'm not familiar with that rule system, and I think I should be. And I thought this was, looked like a, a neat place to uh, get involved with that. So um, kind of excited about that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention fairly quickly is I had dinner with my uh, sister-in-law last night. Haven't seen in a little while. And her son, my nephew, uh, graduated from college a few years ago. He's kind of gone out in the world, um, moved out of state and was having some trouble connecting with some people and i just found out that he has uh formed a role-playing group that he's meeting with on a regular basis and uh according to my sister-in-law i have corrupted him um <laughs> and uh but uh yeah so i want to give a shout out to lucas who now has a uh who's getting into some role-playing and uh, i can't wait to hear more about it from him but uh uh, also, kudos to my sister-in-law for not automatically assuming it's D&D. She didn't know what game they're playing, so I got to find that out. Oh, nice. But oh, Good. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, if it's 7C, you get like a referral bonus, so, you know. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We get we get 0. 0.0225% of each purchase. <laughs> uh, awesome. But, Steve, is there anything you're excited for this week? Um, well, it's certainly not new, but, um, you know, I collect old video games and I got a copy, a box complete copy of both of the D&D &D games for the Mattel and television. Um, oh, nice. In really great shape. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've gotten to, I haven't actually, like, my tel in television isn't hooked up. I actually got to try it, but it doesn't get much more retro than that. As far as I can tell, uh, they are the first D&D &D video games. Like, there were, were no PC-based games before that. Um, like, based on, like, actual licensed TSR D&D. So... I'm kind of stoked. And they're also dirt cheap because nobody wants in television stuff. So, yay. <laughs> that is all. Well, awesome. I need to lift lift weights for my uh <laughs> my wish oh. of the week, but this week 
I got this beauty. Ah, yes. Oh, Dusk City Outlaws. Nice. It's the heaviest role-playing game <laughs> I have ever purchased. That's a role-playing like, game? That's not a board game? No, it's a role-playing game. Oh, yeah. holy crap. Ooh. What's in it? Um, Let's go through it real quick. <laughs> Can't lift the lid, so we'll never <laughs> Can't know. Can't lift the lid, no. No, uh, a bunch of tokens, which I, I got upgraded actual metal tokens. So, so throw those in the trash. <laughs> yep, I got good old metal tokens there. Nice. Uh, comes with looks what looks like a three by three rule set for the judge, who is the GM, and also for the players. Don't know why they didn't put a back to it though. It's just like <laughs> rules on the back. Um, next one is a giant GM screen. Oh yeah, what's that oh, nice. full panel? Full color nice. too. Yeah, four panel. Four, four panel, absolutely beautiful. I'm gonna say this game art is fantastic. Uh, comes with a, uh, I look what I believe is uh, is it like a setting book there, which is really nice, kind of thick. Um, some different, you know, the character sheets are interesting because they're all like you get a pad of them. Ooh. Oh yeah, okay. I so love it when like, they do that. And uh, and one there and one there as well. Um, a lot of like player cards, so it's like the um, the character sheets are made up of those you know those pads of papers and then like class cards and like uh, different like faction cards. There's there's a stack of them. Like, is, is that a PBTA game? It kind of looks like one. It, I, uh, that I'm not entirely sure. I think it is its own system. Mm, okay. Um, so those of you who don't know Dust City Outlaws, it is made by Rodney... What's his name? Rodney Thompson. He was He's worked on uh, D&D 5th edition for like ever uh of course dice and some trays in the bottom of the uh of the box for organizing your stuff so but yeah it's like i i look at all this stuff and i'm like how is it this heavy like <laughs> it's ridiculous that fat stack of character cards or the class cards you got uh, that's got to be a bunch of the, it yeah the book mm -hmm. here is is kind of hefty but yeah it's i'm i'm looking forward to uh to digging into it because it's really interesting um it is a heist based game so it's like oceans 11 but like fantasy and and stuff like that so i think i I'm, remember uh, when this was kicking on uh kickstarter and i i, I kind of thought it sounded an awful lot like uh blades in the dark yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of what i thought too uh, which is why I got it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, let me get all this stuff back in the box and get a crane to get it down to the ground again. <laughs> Comes with a hernia truss and so the epic bonus. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for me. Um, I can't think of anything else. Nice. Oh, Brendan. Yo. Oh yeah, Ben got one of those too. Sims. It looks good. 
It looks good. It's I mean, a big book. I know. It's beefy, man. The thing's like, what, 500 pages or some shit? Um, Holy cow. Uh, through 360. Still, wow. that's crazy. But it's like it look. It looks like way more than three hundred and sixty pages. It's it's very it's very pro in its execution for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's definitely well put together. Um, but yeah, if we don't have anything else, I think that'll be it for this segment of Wish of the Week. Now, kind of into our main topics, just the uh, WTF of, of what this podcast is going to be. So, <laughs> so hey, hey, before um, we get into any question, the, the specific questions, um, yeah, you guys mentioned your, your Friday night group. And uh, for, for our listeners who may not be as familiar, can you uh, give a kind of a quick rundown of what you guys do on, uh, on your uh, group outings? Adam, take it, dog. Sure. So we uh, <laughs> partnered with a local game store. They actually do some some sponsoring of us. Um, and we go down there and we run games. And our focus is on introducing people to new games. So uh, we go out and we run things that maybe people haven't played before, experienced before, um, and kind of walk them through that. So we started out, we were doing, uh, I was running 13th Age. Um, Brendan was running Lamentations of the Frame, Flame Princess. We were also running Blades in the Dark. Uh, our current lineup is... World of Darkness, the blue book, the uh, not the original World of Darkness, the Chronicles of Darkness slash World of Darkness. And then um, I'm running Mutant Year Zero now. So um, going out and just running wow. for people who want to drop in and try out new games and experience new things and kind of, you know, go out and spread the, the good word. Yeah, that's awesome. That's Ooh. definitely uh, a good a good situation. That's a good time, I bet. That's actually a great concept, too, by the way. I'm surprised more game stores don't kind of sponsor groups to run random games because nothing gets people pulled in and buying books faster than, like, actually playing a game. Yeah, so, I mean, what most game stores do is they do the, the D&D Adventures Guild and the Pathfinder Society stuff because that's what draws in a lot of people because a lot of people know about D&D, they know Pathfinder, and they want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. we had to we're, we're, we had to be quirky and weird and different because that's us. So <laughs> we're like, we're going to run stuff that maybe you haven't played before because that's what we like to do. And we're going to we're going to blow your minds. And so that was our, our goal was to go in and do something a little bit a little bit off the beaten path and kind of introduce people to things that maybe they wouldn't go and seek out on their own. We're so underground. We, we only do deep cuts. And then people all walk up to our tables and they go, hey, this is cool. When are you playing D&D? <laughs> and, we, uh, and we go you can't handle us you can't handle full metal rpg get out of here <laughs> we're called full metal for a reason right <laughs> D boys go play your corporate game somewhere else man <laughs> has and then bro you, then <laughs> and then you get you get the little audio clip from bill and ted's most excellent adventure excellent yeah, exactly <laughs> um but yeah awesome it's uh you know, Steve. Another part of that is is you know probably people know how games go. You know, occasionally everything just kind of falls out, and then there's no games anymore. Right. So it's like you were sponsoring this person, either something happened with them, nobody's showing up, whatever. And it's it's always there's you know it, it requires a, an extra level of trust, I think. To uh, you know, to sponsor somebody like Full Metal over there to uh, to uh, run games at the local store. So oh, yeah, yeah, that's 
that's definitely uh yeah it's a cool well, thing well, cool I, I, I will say this to any gms that are listening to the to the podcast right now is that your local game store is probably hungry for this type of programming and if you want to see this kind of thing in your area then the the, the best thing you can do is assemble a couple of people who want to run and then go down there and pitch it to them unless they are like unbelievable misanthropes they will probably say yes now i'm yeah. not saying that there's going to be some kind of like you know financial inducement for you or anything probably not it's probably going to be like a labor of love but this is why i tell like all aspiring gms or people who are like having trouble finding groups in their area and they have bought like one world of darkness book and they're trying to find people to play i always just <laughs> say it's just like that fucking field of dreams movie man it's like if you build it they will come Put together your group, put together your organized play night, promote it online, show up every single week. Even if there's an empty table, just sit there with your books. You'll find players. People will show up. Yeah, if they've got Good tables, point. they're looking to fill them. So, yeah, if, yep. as long as they got an open night, like don't try to do it during, I don't know, like magic tournament night or whatever. But <laughs> if, mm-hmm. as long as they got open tables and space, they'll let you come in pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah. Whatever exactly. you want. Anything. Yeah. Anything. Anything goes. <laughs> Probably not. Oh, I mean, man. you're not going to run like Fatal or anything, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But awesome. Awesome. Um, those of you who don't know Full Metal, uh, we have the host, Brendan. We have also the host, Adam. Everybody's the host on Full Metal <laughs> right. RPG, I guess. Actually, yeah, <laughs> since we're going to have a little bit of crossover, do you want to take a moment and maybe explain what Full Metal RPG is all about for uh, our viewers? Well, I'll make Brendan do this because Brendan make, made Adam do the, the <laughs> right. role-playing thing. Uh, Full Metal RPG is a podcast that uh, my buddy Ben and I founded in uh, 2015. And uh, we basically just kind of wanted to, a place to just talk about our thoughts on role-playing since we've been fucking doing it for like 20 years or something. And it seemed kind of uh, weird to just have this big repository of, of information uh, where you put your, your 10,000 hours in, your Malcolm Glidewell 10,000 hours, and then you're not really sharing it with anybody. That's kind of the interesting thing about role-playing is that until very recently, it was easy to do it in sort of a vacuum where there was like three to five people, maybe 10, that were cycling in and out that were the beneficiaries of all of your experience. Um, so we thought, oh, well, we'll just get out there. We'll just uh, get a podcast going. And... Um, you know, it's been sort of it's been sort of a, a a long, strange trip. We've had some ups, we've had some downs, and uh, it's been really fun. I think that at the, as our voice has kind of developed, because we just started doing it, we didn't really like have much of what you'd call plan. Uh, but as our as our our voice has developed, I think that we're definitely uh, focused on horror role playing. We're focused more, I would say, on narrative role playing. Uh, that that's kind of where our passions lie, but we also really love like OSR stuff and gritty stuff, and um, so so twice a month now we do a uh, discussion podcast about just what's going on with us in terms of role playing and uh, our thoughts, our experiences, our ideas, and we try and get out some reviews of games that we're reading. It's 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 uh it's it's it, it sh- it's your go-to source for all dark role playing, man. Come. Come join us. Join us. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure some of that will come out a little bit later uh, when we're going through <laughs> different questions and yeah, stuff. <laughs> I imagine so. A lot of a lot of your listeners asked very World of Darkness, Vampire the Masquerade-esque questions. So, well, they know our bag. That'll so. come to light. Boy, did <laughs> exactly. they. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, all of ours are all 7C questions, so, you know, hey, there's that. Well, you guys didn't, you guys didn't share your 7C questions. You didn't put them on the oh. floor. I wanted to see them. Well, they're all surprises, so there you oh, go. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're the, they're what an- Steve is trying to say is they're up here, and then whenever he says them, <laughs> that's when the questions come out. They're those right. ambush questions that, you know, like the, uh, the ex-girlfriends <laughs> ask on Jerry Springer, so it's going to be fun. Like it. Fair enough. Oh, beautiful. I have one that I want to start with. Um, my personal favorite from our friend Jim Miller. Uh, Brendan, I think this is for you. It said, if you love tabletop radio hours so much, why don't you marry them? Well, to, to everyone out there in the potosphere who this is a question that's just burning up inside of them, the answer, the answer to that, guys, is it's complicated. I mean, that's complicated. <laughs> complicated, guys. We live in complicated times, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if... Uh, Tabletop Radio Hour were available to be married, then maybe maybe Full Metal RPG would. I don't know. What do you think, I Adam? I don't think this country's ready for podcast marriage. So, <laughs> that's like a whole level beyond where we're at socially at this time. The, 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 there is definitely like a part of me that was like, it would be a fun stunt. It would be a fun stunt <laughs> just for the just for the for the lulls and for the clickbait. But you uh, know what we should you know what we should <laughs> do. Yeah, there you go. I, I am I an ordained know. minister, and I have performed marriages. Oh, so. my God. Oh, wow. Look at that. Look I at that, totally guys. Happen. Guys. <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. Your Facebook page, our Facebook page, in a relationship with... <laughs> <laughs> Can you oh do God. that on pages? We'll have to find out. I'm not, I'm not sure I doubt it. you, but oh well. It's complicated, guys. <sighs> we can put it at the bottom of the description. I'm a yeah. little bit disappointed to hear this answer, actually. I already rented a tux, and I can't get that deposit back. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man. Well, I hope that settles oh, that for beautiful. listeners. At least for Jim Miller. Yeah. <laughs> that was for you, Jim. Jim... Jim Miller, we had Jim on the podcast. I had Jim on the podcast for a little interview not too long ago. So go check that out if you want to know Jim. Uh, first off, uh, second off, that was just, it was, yeah. um, something that I think everybody will be able to talk about, maybe except for Mark. <laughs> so go wait in the corner, Mark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, the. The Fenris Wolf on Instagram. Yeah, the Fenris Wolf. What up? Um, he says, you guys have talked a fucking ton about Vampire, and I've heard you mention Wraith a few times and some other White Wolf games, but I've never heard anything about Mage, his personal favorite. So my question is, have you guys ever played Mage, and what did slash didn't you like about it? Um, I know Steve is very passionate about this. I also mm-hmm. know Brendan is very passionate about this. And by the email address, I also know Adam is very passionate about this. <laughs> uh, I don't I've know what that. you mean. <laughs> it's, it's so, I don't know what you mean either. It's so funny that uh, the Fenris Wolf hit us up with this one because it really on some level exposed some thinking in our podcast, like this weird blind spot that Adam and I have been dancing around Mage like so much but Zach's like stroking his mage book in the background. <laughs> nice. That was that was. Don't mind me. Don't uh, mind me. Uh, 
God. Very cult of ecstasy. We have to have some exciting. We, we have to have some exciting parts of this podcast. I, I I think that in our effort on Full Metal to uh, be less of a vampire podcast and more of an all around World of Darkness podcast, where we cover all of those games. We sort of uh, intentionally covered some of the more off-the-beaten-track ones, and then we ended up ignoring the one that was like very close to all of our hearts, which is Mage. Am I right, Adam? Yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, for me with Mage, I love Mage, and I love the idea of Mage. Um, having played Mage and run Mage, <laughs> it's... Uh, my experiences with it are a lot like my experiences with Wraith. I go in with this idea of what it's going to be, um, and it never matches uh, up with my expectation. And so, you know, when I play it or when I run it, I, I have a difficult time with it because it is such a free-form open game. And I think back when I was doing Mage, um, I was much more of a trad gamer and much less of a narrative gamer. And so I had this idea of there have to be rules and it has to follow patterns. And and Mage is a game that's explicitly about there are no rules um, and we defy your expectations and you shape your own reality. And if as a GM, if you're trying to exert control over that, it's frustrating and difficult. Um, It's a game I'd love to go back to and I'd love to try again. Um, And for me, you know, one of the other problems I had with Mage was for me, the compelling part of Mage was the technocracy. Um, And I liked them better and I wanted to play them. And it just wasn't a thing back when I was involved with Mage. It was, well, you you can't do that. They're the bad guys. Um, And I understand that now it's actually like, oh, no, you can actually play the technocracy like they're they're a playable faction now. and so, yeah, it's one I'd love to get back to. I'd love to do it some justice. Uh, I just haven't for whatever reason, you know, but I, I do love Mage. I love the setting. I love the Sons of Ether. I love the virtual adepts because they're the technocratic parts of the traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love the Sons of Ether, uh, but because they're the <laughs> that, that's his that's his email that's address. That's my email by the address. Way. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, you know, I really I like that weird science and everything else. It's just one of those things where it's. It, there's so much going on in mage it's it's really difficult because you can sit down to play and you're like i'll be a son of ether and somebody else says i want to be a, a verbena blood mage and somebody else goes i want to be a you know an order of hermes hermetic and some other guys like i'm a whacked out on acid cultist of ecstasy and you're going why are all of these people hanging out <laughs> yeah okay okay here's the thing here's here's my here's my problem with with running mage okay because i do love mage and i've run a lot i've run a fair amount of mage i've collected a shit ton of mage okay but here's here's the problem with running it, all right? Like it's just like Adam was saying, it's so hard to get everybody on the same page with what's happening. Now I ran it a lot in high school, and I ran it some kind of college, post college, and what I was doing at the time is I was drawing in players that were from my gaming group, and these are people who we you know we're friends IRL, and we have maybe classes at the local community college together or whatever, but like where our Venn diagram of interests overlaps is it's usually role-playing, right? So they don't necessarily, and this is not trying to be some kind of like intellectual, like you don't understand Rick and Morty kind of thing, but on some level they don't, on some level, get what Mage is about. So if I were to run Mage today, I'd be like, look, 
what's your experience with reading the works of quote unquote real life occultists? Like, have you read Psychonaut? You know, have you read the Illuminatus <laughs> trilogy? Like, what are your thoughts and feelings on that? What are your thoughts on like Grant Morrison? You know, have you read Grant Morrison's work about the idea of like breaking down reality and kind of like the war on reality? Then if I was going to do a, uh, uh, a technocrats game, I'd be like, look, this is what are your feelings on cyberpunk? What are your feelings on Gibson? You know, and I'd vet people before I let them sit down at the table because that's really what's critical to the game. If people just see it as like, oh, I'm a mage and I got these powers and shit and I've got this kind of like vaguely defined philosophy that I'm using my powers and I have to, I have to match my powers to this vaguely defined philosophy, you're going to miss the entire game. Right. Anybody who wants to cast Fireball is not someone you want in your mage game. <laughs> yeah. yeah this isn't like... This isn't like wizards, mages. You mm-hmm. know, this isn't this isn't Gandalf and Lord of the Rings, right? So to speak. You right. Know, this is this is definitely on a on a different plane of existence. Right. Which like, is why I like the idea of the technocracy because it gives the game focus, um, mm-hmm. and it kind of puts everybody on the same page. And you know, to Brendan's point, if if you haven't read Gibson, you haven't read you know uh, Stevenson or, or one of those guys, you're probably not going to really kind of grok what it's about. Well, I actually had sort of a, when I played a mage game about 15 years ago, and I love mage, by the way, it's my favorite World of Darkness game, um, or at least, you know, mainly because, again, the uh, the, con- the concept part, you know, the core concept is, is brilliant and super fun and incredibly freeing. Um, the, the kind of the shortcut I had to get around exactly what you're saying, getting everyone on the same play- page, is um, when we started playing it, this uh, the show called Dresden Files had just come out. And I know it's, you know, a, a bigger RPG and whatever, but the show had come out and everybody in the play group had seen the show. And they were like, that's a great idea. We should do that. And I was like, you know, I don't have Dresden Files and I'm poor, so, but I do have this mage book. Let's give this a shot. So everybody actually started out with the same sort of idea in mind. And it also made a great check for sort of like the power thing because, you know, on, on, on that sort of show, people weren't thinking, okay, I'm going to pop out and just start shooting lightning bolts everywhere. Everyone's like, okay, we're doing subtle stuff that we can explain using, you know, like real world physics and things like that. And everybody had a great time. Like it was cool. Um, you know, it, that, but that was sort of my shortcut to get everybody on the same page. Yeah, to that end, I've always preferred like medium and sorcerer to mage because it, it's it, back when I was running it, it was a much more focused, smaller scale kind of John Constantine kind of concept rather mm-hmm. than mage, which is this bigger like blow your brain, you know, escape from reality man kind of thing. And and I, I always preferred World of Darkness sorcerer as as my go to game if I wanted to run a magician or or a magic user in a World of Darkness game. What's trippy is that uh, Mage the Ascension puts the actual works of, like, you know, contemporary chaos chaos magic, chaos magicians, um, into the game. And all, all that stuff that your mom was, like, worried that you were, like, being trained in the occult by reading role-playing books, Mage actually does that. Like, I started out reading Mage, and I was like, wow, this is so mind-blowing. And then later on in my life, I started experimenting with, like, occult books. And I was like, oh, I know all this shit because it was fucking in Mage. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. so, so it, it, the, the game, while, while the Dresden Files has definitely, like, uh, given us this context that just didn't exist when I was running it. And that's, and that's super great. I'm really happy that that... Um, that, that uh, frame of reference exists for like contemporary mage players because it does help people get all on the same, all on the same page. Uh, 
like you if you want to if you want to get into that kind of like transcendentalism of the, that the game I think wants you to go to, like people have to have read some of this kind of like anarchist uh, against reality type stuff, you know? Because that's I mean, and, and, and yeah. some of that's fundamentally what the game is about. Yeah, yeah. If you can you can easily compare it to like a real world history game based around World War Two, like. Or or something like Cold Shadows, like that. That's you know doing your research for a game like that. This is kind of the same. It's it's more ideal set than actual real life. You know, actual dates and times and events. But yeah, it's it's definitely something that you need to do your research for. Oh, for sure. So I guess to answer your um, question, the Fenris Wolf. Now I want to go out and buy the new Mage book and run it. So thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for nothing, man. <laughs> Jesus. If hey, I'm not if busy enough. Your, if you want to get your fix, we're all going to get together and do a, a mage one shot. Oh, nice. Awesome. For mm-hmm. the podcast. So I know Brandon's in for it. Steve's going to run it. Yeah, if you want to hear my thoughts on it more, I think we did a the game at a glance was on Mage a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. check our archives and and we I spent a bunch of time just gushing about how awesome that game is. So Well, I'm really stoked for it. I can't wait because I do love yeah. me some Mage for sure. Yeah, and then Adam, of course, invite is thrown at you right now. Awesome, you sounds go. good. I'm stoked. Awesome. We don't we don't have any dates or times or whatever, but we'll figure it out. We're not so much with the planning, but it's gonna happen. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I haven't played Mage yet. Uh, I've definitely read through it, so it's it's definitely um, you know I, I love the concept of it. I love it. Um, again, I can't really speak accurately because i haven't played it so it's just basically on thoughts but yeah um yeah you'll get some of my thoughts there on that that game at a glance that we talked about you ever read uh grant morrison's uh uh, graphic novel epic the invisibles i have not pick it up dog also the filth check it out read it get 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 on that level and then that shit that's mage that's mage fodder right there yeah the invisibles is pretty great transmit might also help too but Mostly the Invisibles. Nice. Awesome, awesome. Uh, on to the next one. Uh, again, through Instagram from you guys. Uh, Nile Deceit 96 um, We're going to shorten this one just a tiny bit. Go for it. Uh, says, what's your fantasy gaming group made up of people from history, fiction, or pop culture? Uh, some players, a DM, not including yourself. And what game would you be playing? Uh, let's start with Mark. Mark, do you have just a couple people? Just uh, just a few people. Mark's gonna steal yeah. mine. <laughs> I think Mark's gonna steal mine too. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna go obvious. So if you know me, you know what I'm gonna say. I'm sure. Um, I've talked about it before. Johnny Depp. Um, you know my my entry drug to role playing was the original uh, Star Trek Fossa. So I gotta go there. For, for players, you gotta pick Shatner, Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, um, James Doohan, um, and uh, let's say Michelle Nichols. Um, but now here's the question for the group. Do you put them in the obvious roles, or do you shake it up and put DeForest Kelly as Captain Kirk and uh, Michelle <laughs> Nichols as Spock? Um, you know, how much chaos do you want? Because uh, Kirk would yeah, flip a exactly. table if he were the captain. That's, that's all there like, is to it. 
That's the option to get everybody's parody version of the other person. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. True. They all hate yeah. Shatner True. so much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever ends up playing it, Captain I Kirk is just going to play him as the worst person ever. That exactly. table will be flipped in two seconds. There'll be two-fisted punches going on. This is, yeah, a recipe <laughs> it, for disaster. It could be a show, though. That could be oh, to watch. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think we need to do that on, on CBS that. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now, now, when running a game, how much uh, advantage is there in your players knowing their character maybe better than you do? I'm not That's understanding the question. question. Yeah, we've actually discussed this before where we've talked about, like, when you go to run a game, like, say, Star Trek or Star Wars, do you want these lore hounds... Oh, in the game yeah. with you yeah. who know more than you do. So when you go, oh, yeah, this is the USS Tribeca and they go, oh, well, that class of ship actually wouldn't be named that. It would be named this other thing because here's what the naming convention is. And let me explain to you yes. everything about the background. And we decided we would absolutely hate that. Um, yeah, that sounds like yeah. Ball but you, yeah. but if what, William Shatner is going back to you and saying Kirk wouldn't do that. It's really hard to argue with him. Well, he's you always know? saying shit like that, though. That's like, well, that's like true. he's that's known for that. He's always like he's always walking around spouting off like Kirkwood opinions, and this is like Fair. everybody's over it at this point, you mm-hmm. know. Fair, well, yeah. And but for the I love of God, if you made him the DM, you'd end up like I don't know, fighting Jesus on some planet. Exactly. <laughs> yes. He would end yes. up with his Mary Sue character saving the party at every single turn. Nimoy's yeah, got to exactly run right, it, dude. Yeah. Nimoy's got to run it. Sorry. Nimoy, I can see, yeah. Yeah. But there would yeah. be a rock monster. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But Adam, Adam, what you don't know about Mark—he's a walking lore book when it comes to uh, when it comes to Star Trek. Oh, everything. so is it just anything. like a, a battle of wills? He's exactly Usually, the yeah, guy you yeah. wouldn't want in your Star Trek game, which is why you want him running the Star Trek game. <laughs> and that's why he'll Fair. be running our Star Trek game. Mm-hmm. True. Do you want to just like go around? Does anybody have any other ideas on this? Like, we could just kind of rapid fire our, our top five for a, a game if you wanted. Yeah, here I'll, I'll blurt mine out real fast. Okay, okay. so uh, I, I'm choosing only fictional characters: uh, Picard, Riker, Data, Worf, Geordi. Then I'm gonna go color outside the lines a little bit. I'm gonna say Troy is playing also. Uh, Picard's running it. It's Pathfinder. I just get a watch. That's <laughs> that's what I want to see. Do you do you not want Will Wheaton in there? No, nah, dude, I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, look. Will Wheaton, you know, he's. I met him. He's a cool guy. He's a nice guy. Uh, but there's there is a differentiation, and he's always trying to point this out. There's a differentiation between Will Wheaton and Wesley Crusher, and Wesley Crusher can GTFO. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> don't clean out the Jeffrey's tubes, Crusher. No one wants to hear it. <laughs> oh man, Adam, Adam, do you have anything? Sure. So my thought was. Um, I just want to see how bad it could get. So uh, <laughs> the group that I picked was um, Satan, Oscar Wilde, Aleister Crowley, Karl Marx, and Jean d'Arc. And we'd be playing <laughs> Fatal. <laughs> okay. And I just want to see okay. how bad, like, because I have a baseline for what a bad role-playing experience is. I want to see absolutely how terrible uh, it could possibly get. <laughs> and we'll let Satan be the GM. There you go. Fair. Lol. Hey, yeah. Um after a couple years ago of seeing actually it might have been like a year ago or so uh critical role got a a small little short with uh vin diesel for one of his movies i forgot which movie but i would i would love to see yeah yeah yeah. 
I would love to get a bunch of actors, just actors, like the best actors. I'm, whoever your best actors are, I'm not going to make any claims here. But just sitting down and playing something, you know, kind of not what they're used to, you know, seeing how kind of like a big improv fest. Just kind of just kind of interesting. Gosling, dude. Ryan Gosling (laughs) with his face acting playing D&D. Fucking rad. Yeah. Nice. You never get it started. Like like Daniel Day Lewis would spend six months getting into character for a cleric, and like yeah, good luck. <laughs> Let's put Shia LaBeouf in there just for fun. Oh, there we go. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my. Oh, he can man. play the villains. <laughs> Ooh, all of them. Every villain <laughs> is just Shia all LaBeouf. Of them. <laughs> so Steve, did you have one? Um, yeah, let's just put uh, every, all the uh, all the crew of Firefly in, and I want Ernest Clive as the GM. Okay. Nice. Nice. Beautiful. Uh, down to the next question from Thunderproof on Instagram. Uh, my question is for everyone. What music do you use during games? Do you have a favorite soundtrack or album that you play to build atmosphere or no music at all? Sub question, what album do you listen to outside of games that helps you when you're writing or brainstorming, etc.? cetera? Uh, I'll start off with this one. On our end, as far as the podcast goes, it's kind of hard with music because it has to be royalty-free. It has to be all that stuff. So I kind of stray away from music overall, you know, unless I put something in post. Uh, you know, just because it's, it's easiest, honestly. Well, that's if you're um, actually recording a podcast. What about in your personal games? I don't have any personal games, Steve. You know this. <laughs> Saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um. You know, it it kind of fits with, you know, whatever game you're playing. Like, Seventh Sea, get the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest here. Um, but, yeah, just kind of fitting fitting the atmosphere to to kind of make your game a little more well-rounded. Um, just kind of bring everybody kind of closer and uh, kind of get them a little bit more immersed into the game. Yeah, I would say nothing with vocals because they distract everyone. Um, so you can't yeah. do anything with vocals. If you do do stuff with vocals, it has to be in a language that people don't speak. So um, I have used like uh, some, um, uh, it's a group called Niaz, and they do things in like, I want to say Arabic and some other languages oh. that, that for Dark Ages worked very well for what I was trying to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nothing with vocals. Um, and... I try to make it match what I'm running. I, I had this idea that I had certain songs I want to play during certain scenes, but then I'm fiddling with, I mean, back when I was doing it, it was high school, so I didn't have an MP3 player, so I didn't have the ability uh, to call it music very fast, so I was having to fiddle with a stereo, and it, it really kind of oof. broke up the flow of the game. Uh, I think now we're kind of in a, in a nice era where you can cue those things up instantaneously. It's a little bit easier. You can get your Bluetooth speaker. You can have your you know your phone, and you can stream it directly from there. Uh, but I haven't been using music recently just cause I'm playing in stores and at cons. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'm I not a right. playlist. Playlists are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like build a playlist. Hey, this is my blades in the dark playlist. This is my seventh sea playlist, you know, and just, you know, switch them out whenever you're, uh, playing whatever game. Right. Brendan. Sure. 
Yeah. I know you talk about atmosphere a lot. Oh, man. You talk about vampires. This is like one of my things. I do a lot of this. So, um, I basically have two modes of role playing that I'm in at any given time, and that will determine sort of like what music I'm playing. Now, like Adam, if I'm playing, if I'm doing a con or if I'm at a club game, I don't do music. But for my home games, this is for my home games. So, uh, Mode number one that I run in is like a gothic horror, like historical. And this includes fantasy games. So um, from back in the day, I worked the hell out of the uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula score Ooh. and the interview that with the vampire That's a great soundtrack score. for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking, that stuff's so good. And then like Adam, that was back when it was all in CDs and I had to put things on repeat and I'd be moving CDs <laughs> around and stuff. And to be totally honest, I felt like that was kind of part of the game. It was almost kind of like when your computer, like, it has a load screen and, you know, pinwheels for a second or something. It's like it kind of, mm-hmm. when the players saw me changing the CD, they knew that something was about to happen. So it, there was a psychological <laughs> element to it that sort of worked. Um, and, and, the, and that I kind of miss now that now that that's kind of gone. Additionally, there is a, um, a choral composer. He's like a class, he's in classical music. It's kind of hard to find his stuff, but he does have some on, um, on what's it called? Spotify or whatever. His name's Arvo Part. That's A R V O, and then Part. And he does these. He does masses that are like he, he like composes masses. So it's all just choir music. All it's all vocals, but it's all in Latin, so you can't understand it anyway. That shit is dark AF, and um, oh, so good. It's so good for setting the tone of kind of like uh, oppression and just, uh, but also kind of like weird loftiness. I mean, it's. Uh, Leave it to the Catholics. Anyway, um, then uh, when I'm doing something more contemporary, when I'm in like contemporary <coughs> mode, um, usually like either a horror game or like a like a crime game or a crime game with a lot of horror in it, um, I'll use the Sicario score from that movie. That is very choice. Um, the score from the Constantine movie, the Keanu Reeves one. Super good. I have that on CD from back in this. That's a holdover from the CD days. Uh, but then lately, I've been using, um, on Bandcamp, there is a label that just operates right off of Bandcamp. And they are called Cryo Chamber. So if you go on Bandcamp, you find Cryo Chamber. It's all of this music that they call cinematic dark ambient. And I swear to God, dude, you can just put on one of those albums. Just pick one at random. Just put it on. And you have uh, 45 minutes of tracks that just that don't repeat, don't have vocals, and you can they can just be in the background of your Cthulhu game or whatever it is that you're running. And then when like that 45 minutes comes up, you go like, okay, uh, let's take a break, pick another album. Everybody comes back from the break, cue that one. You got another 45 minutes of, you know, Cthulhu, vampire, whatever. But um. When I'm working, I also I, I can't I'm the kind of guy I can't I can't write and hear vocals in my head or podcasts or anything it'll fuck up my mm. my writing flow. So I also I'll just listen to Cryo Chamber. I seriously will just sit down at the typewriter. I'll get out. I'll put on a Cryo Chamber album. Go into the cans and just listen to it while I write. Um, but then when I'm getting in the mood to write, like I'm an old school industrial guy, and there's this new band out of L.A. called Three Teeth. That's a numeral three with the with the letters to make teeth one word. And um, they're a self-titled debut album. Just really gets me in the mood to write horror. Gets me in the mood to write crime. It takes me back to 
1993 industrial Brendan and, you know, gets me pumped, gets me pumped to go. So I hope that was helpful, Thunderproof. Thanks for listening, man, as always. Awesome. Uh, Mark, Steve, you guys have anything specific for uh, for games? Well, I've got kind of a counterpoint because everybody's talking about, you know, increasing the ambience in your game, which is incredibly important, blah, blah, blah. I've got a 180 trick on that that actually it decreased the ambience, but it really worked for one thing. Before the game, uh, before we started a campaign, I asked everybody there to give me their favorite song. And they were all over the map, heavy metal, rap, whatever, completely inappropriate for any game given. Queued them all up, right? And every time a player rolled a 20, um, uh, they became the star. I, I hit the button on their song and I let that play for like 30 seconds. And then I described like, you know, what happened and, you know, you know, basically. And, oh my God, I got to the point where like, as soon as they heard their song, or if I started rolling dice behind the screen and then like they'd hear their song come on, they'd just like jump up. They'd be like freaking out. I mean, I have not seen anything pull people in, like being like, okay, boom, your song hit. Congratulations. You're now the rock star. The scene is yeah. going to go your way. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, it didn't work at all for the D&D context and it completely directed the ambiance. But my God, my players showed up every week. <laughs> That's solid, man. I dig yeah. that. Something yeah. Critical Role did as you know on, on their blog or uh, on Geek and Sundry's website or whatever, uh, each player, each player character would make a playlist for their, or each each player would make a playlist for their character. So it's like these songs are this character. It kind of gives you a feel of what kind of person they are, which is really interesting. I would I would suggest that people do that for a character if you're in a long campaign. Uh, just kind of gives you another way to connect mm. with with your character, uh, Mark. Uh, I, as we've all talked about, soundtracks are mostly your friend here. They're designed for background audience. That's that's their whole purpose of existing. And um, I think the trick, though, is if you're if you're playing a recognizable if you're if you're playing Star Trek, playing Star Trek music is perfectly appropriate. Um, the tricky part is things that are really identifiable. Um, yeah, I don't care what game you're playing. If the Imperial March starts to play, people are going to expect Star Destroyers to appear and Darth Vader to walk out, walk out of a, the mist. So you want to try to, if you can push for more obscure, uh, better. Some of the ones I really like uh, are the original Dune soundtrack as a nice uh, change to it. Also, the um, the original animated Ralph Baskey Lord of the Rings has a great soundtrack. <laughs> without, the one without the words, right? Because those songs will get stuck in your head for days. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, just the the instrumental the score, yeah. Parts, but the score, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, those are a couple of great ones that uh, you know those are a little bit further far enough back in the past that uh, they can be taken out of context pretty well and. Uh, and work work really well but uh yeah i agree um you know most of we obviously don't do anything for the the show but uh, for writing i almost always have a soundtrack on uh when i'm putting together stuff cool yeah yeah uh something else that i just thought about um video game soundtracks oh yeah oh sure like Something like Mass Effect in in a you know a sci-fi setting, mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. It's it's not so recognizable that it'll distract, 
just ca- kind of like what you were saying, Mark. You know, it's yep. not going to yeah. yeah. distract from it. They're designed you know, unless... to not steal the spotlight and yet also reinforce the ambiance. So, yeah, they're absolutely ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. and they're better now. They're made on better equipment. Like, they used to just be made on, like, these really, really cheap, shitty uh, synthesizers. <laughs> but now they're, now they're made on really good stuff. Uh, the last time I experimented with this was seriously in the 90s, and I bought the uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night soundtrack, and I was like, I love this this song, man. I'm going to put it in my vampire game. And I was like, no, <laughs> negative. Mm-hmm. Once I listened to it, I was like, this is this is not going to work. That's like J-pop. Yeah, yeah that's not <laughs> – good luck yeah, with that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. It works yeah, well sound- for that context, but yeah. – Yeah, the soundtrack to Tetris is not going to cut it for anything. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe if you're in Russia. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. Anything specific for uh, for when you write, uh, Adam, Steve, Mark? Pretty much no? all the same. Yeah. 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 Get get kind of get me into the mindset of of what I'm writing for. Yeah. Right. That's. Yeah, I, I definitely learned you want to listen to something that's appropriate for what what you're attempting to write. Like if I'm, I found when I was trying to write humor, like you know, loading up David Bowie's Black Star Cancer album did not work <laughs> for me at all. It, it kind of undercut the entire mood I was going for. So, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I, I, I mean, I don't imagine why. Um, next one uh, from Facebook. Yeah, from Facebook, Gustavo. Um, this is an interesting one. I, I saw this and I was, I was immediately drawn. Um, what do you expect for the future when it comes to new systems and the evolution of role playing games? Um, it's definitely taken a turn, I would say, uh, in the past couple of years, mm. uh, based on the amount, just the sheer amount of indie style writers out there. Um, Mark, what do you think? Uh, we, I, we need an old grumpy Mark right now. So that's, uh, <laughs> oh, let's old the, grumpy Mark. Summon the here. curmudgeon. Yes. <laughs> No, I think it, I think you're right. It's kind of swung around uh, to get get away from that. Uh, you know, we've definitely gotten away from the everything is D twenty. That's the only thing that exists, which is great. You have a lot Thank more God. variety now. Stuff is being written to fit the genre as opposed to just slapping a, a new label on the same thing. Um, and you know that is really good. Uh, I think there's there's a lot more variety. Uh, there's a lot more um, stuff coming out. Uh, and I think it is becoming much more narrative overall. I think that uh, that whole kind of separation between uh, narrative and mechanical is uh, becoming stronger and kind of enforcing the, the divergence of, of what's out there. Um, Fan content is also something that's uh, really kind of changing the the playing field a lot. Um, yeah, we've definitely seen it with Seventh C. You know, sure. Recent, we on our last episode of Seventh C, we used a fan made rule set for for our ship combat. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and it's it seems like those different communities are expanding a lot, uh, just based on confidence and, you know, easily being able to, to get it out there in the mm-hmm. ether. Exactly. But yeah, definitely. Sorry, cut you off. No, but you know, and that, that's going to have the, uh, the effect, uh, both pro and con of, uh, supplying some really great content that nobody thought of and 
supplying crap because just because somebody thinks that the they can produce something. So it's gonna it's gonna involve a lot more weeding through you know what's out there to see what's good and what's bad. But uh, overall, I think uh, you know just the variety and the being able to f- everyone finding something that appeals to them is is going to be a good thing. Yeah, awesome, uh, Brendan. What do you think? Well, I think that it, what's very consistent in all of our responses is that we're in a time of transition. And I don't know how long that's going to last. Uh, there's a lot of forces that are at work here that I, I, on some level, never expected to see in my life. And so it's difficult to predict anything. Uh, what I w- agree with is that there is sort of a glut right now. And that kind of glut has gone through music. It started with music, and then it went into mm. you know fan-made content for video stuff and uh, downloadable books, and now here we are. It's finally hit role-playing. And mm-hmm. uh, movies and music don't seem to have become like completely impenetrable, so role-playing uh, should... We, we should still, you know, be able to find lots of great content. As to what the direction of things is going to go, I don't know, man. I... I don't know. I, I tend to be sort of a doomsayer whenever I predict anything, and um, I'm a little bit just uh, as happy as I am to see so many new people coming to role playing, just in droves and droves and droves. They're kind of brought in by what I consider to be like the most kind of like basic, like derpy level of like role playing imaginable, which is this kind of like. Let's do funny voices and do kind of like improv <laughs> comedy kind of stuff. And um, I've had these kind of like existential dilemmas where I'm like, oh, God, is role-playing going to change and there's not going to be room for me in it? And just very recently, I kind of was meditating on this and I thought, you know what? I came up so like hardcore White Wolf where um, White Wolf tried to – they tried to modify the way we did things to make us take it seriously, and they were always promoting their product as being art, and that what we were doing at the tabletop was kind of an art, and that we should take it seriously because of that. But to be totally honest, even back then, back in the 90s, it was like you went and played D&D with your friends, and it was a bunch of kind of like like preposterous bullshit, and everybody was like laughing all the time and acting like weirdos. So I think maybe I've always been in the minority. I've always been the kind of that one guy who doesn't sort of get what it is that's just supposed to be this like chill relaxed thing i don't know um we'll see what this new generation does with it you know uh ask i mean ask me this question again in a year because at this point oh oh, i i did have i did have one more point which is that the money that's in it is going to start affecting things you know um when john wick made a million bucks on 7c and then that basically meant that he was never going to get his hands on LO5R again. I mean, they already didn't want to part with LO5R. And then I think once the big corporate dudes looked over the fence and saw that he had pulled a million dollars out of uh, 7C, then definitely their eyebrows went up. And now some guy on Kickstarter just beat John Wick's record with a, uh, with a uh, uh, followers and stronghold supplement for 5E. And there is no way that Watsy didn't notice that. There is no way that Watsy didn't look at Kickstarter and say, that dude just took our million bucks 
by creating a supplement that we didn't know we needed, you know? And so when there's enough skin in the game, the corporate dudes are always going to be, are always going to start circling. They're going to start circling. So, I mean, uh, like I was saying a second ago, ask me again in a year. I'll have a better yeah. idea, you know? It's, it's a crazy time right now. It's the Wild West. Yeah, exactly. It's the it's the kind of awkward in between time where it's like nothing's really set in stone. It's just kind of starting. So exactly, you know, it's one of the, one of those situations. Very uh, true. Something you said kind of kind of sparked sparked my ideas um, when you said talking in funny voices, kind of goofing around. Uh, the improv comedy stuff you said. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I think that's a little bit fueled by the stuff like Critical Role, where they see all these famous voice actors who can do all of this stuff, and this amazing GM that is Matt Mercer that can be 8 million different people at one time. They, they try to have that kind of experience. And what I always say, what they always say, is you're not going to have a Critical Role experience. Never. You can't. You guys haven't been voice actors for... 20 plus years you know matt mercer has so much experience with his age it's ridiculous and a lot of that is fueled by how good he is at improv and and you know being these different people voicing these different people like you look at his list of of you know shows movies he's been on it's it's extensive but i mean like have you noticed that along with that has been the proliferation of voice actors everywhere or like self-proclaimed voice actors like i mean Mm. it's like you you go you go on to instagram i'm very active on instagram and like you know a couple years ago nobody was a voice actor now it's like anytime you're trying you're out there trying to like interact with D &D communities it's just voice actors voice actors oh i'm a voice actor slash dm i'm a voice actor slash dm it's like that Mm -hmm. that guy basically created this like occupation this this high level entertainment occupation that just didn't exist three or four years ago which is well, like the, I think, the, go ahead, yeah. sorry. Oh, I mean, that guy in the internet, basically. I mean, voice actor is sort of the new Uber. You can, like, anybody with a microphone yeah. and a computer can take a contract gig for, you know, take five bucks from somebody to read copy for a, a local car dealership on the internet and right. and then call themselves a voice actor. So, I mean, there's tons of people who can call themselves voice actors and, and, and kind of just take those jobs, but it doesn't necessarily mean that more people are actually able to support themselves doing it. No, no, I, oh, exactly. I, I, I totally feel you there. I totally feel you there, but this... The way that these ideas are moving and the number of people that you have creating this herd, I think, uh, is going to change the direction that games go. Because these people, they, they see themselves in a certain way. And if you look at, like, if you go through Instagram and you start scrolling through the, the actual play podcasts and the kind of groups they are trying to establish social media presences for themselves, they all have a very particular look and they all have a particular feel as though they're all just, like, working out of the same playbook. And that that I that's just the tip of the the iceberg, you know. For every one of them that's out there really hustling and trying to promote themselves, there's a bunch of other groups that are in anonymity that are essentially just clones of that one. And these guys, as a market force, are going to shape the way role playing looks. And I I just don't know if I'm stoked about that. <laughs> that's understandable. It's, yeah, go ahead, Mark. It, I, I think uh, you know. I think the problem that we're kind of addressing here is the the subset of, of gamers that are getting into it in order to be YouTube stars. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're just trying to find you know find something that's gonna make them famous. Um and, and I say this as a podcast that does our own actual play. 
but uh, I, I think there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of that kind of copying going on um, and uh, just latching on to a, a D&D book. Oh, and, man. Uh, throwing your people into a, a, a thing so that we can have a podcast or a, or a video show, too. Like, you, yeah, you, and, you uh, ain't kidding, man. Like, the biggest, the most egregious example of that to me is those those chodes up in Portland who did that knockoff Dungeon Punks podcast where they spelt it a oh, little yeah. differently and they did yeah. those bad English accents. And it was obviously <sighs> like a bunch of like twee ass, like comedy improv, like, like, like fucking fun pals or something who just really had no business like being in that same pool with us. You know, they had no business trying to bite on Dungeon Punks or on D&D mm-hmm. or on any of it. And I just like, I swear to God, man, like the bile just won't stop rising in the back of my throat whenever <laughs> I encounter that stuff. It, it was so funny because my friends on the actual Dungeon Punks podcast, they listened to it and they were laughing. They were like, they all do English accents, you know? I mean, they're bad English accents, but it's, it's a bunch of dudes up in Portland like doing these like super shitty English accents. I mean, it made it makes my earballs fucking like wither just 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 to have it on. It was it was it was so brutal, and I will I will just never stop opposing stuff like that. I just if if, nice. if, if Full Metal RPG can do one thing, it will be to be uh, an antidote to that. You know. A- a- anyway, nice. and, and rant. Sorry. Yeah, that's that's why we play Seventh C. <laughs> because there's there's really nobody else playing seventh C religiously, true. true. You know, so we yeah, we, we thought we kind of get in there with that. There you go. Well, yeah, I, I hope we bring some different things to the table. You know, like you say, we were playing a different game. We're we're you know like doing the rotating GM thing to to bring some variety. We try some different games. So you know, I hope which is, that helps. Which is but. something. Which is something I haven't seen in a, a podcast or you know video session, whatever. And not a serious podcast. A, a round, yeah. I haven't, I, mean, I haven't seen a, a round robin same game. You know, I've seen yeah. like on one shot, they have somebody run this game that they're they're yeah. putting on Kickstarter in a month, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, but I haven't seen the whole round robin same game, same, same uh, campaign thing. Well, true. Uh, as sort of an optimistic kind of counterpoint to like how this whole thing could go. I mean, yeah, the, the relentless self-promotion of all the people that are, you know, trying to just leverage RPGs and geek culture in general to, to elevate their own status on social media. It's garbage, but I think there's a check against it. And that is the, um, the, the extensive crowdsourced RPG stuff that we have right now, all the stuff on Kickstarter, um, you know, all this, uh, like basically anybody can make an RPG now. And a, a lot of people are making garbage, but a lot of people are making really cool stuff. And that mm-hmm. diversity, that, you know, infinite diversity, infinite combinations is what's keeping the whole thing uh, like it, what makes me think that no matter where it goes, even if, you know, Watsy buys everything I ever loved and, and makes it into crap or something, um, <laughs> I'm still OK because I'll be able to go online and download some print and play game that's really good and have a great time with it. And that that gives me hope. That's my that's my optimistic view on on what I'm what I'm happy about in, in RPGs right now. Yeah, I think we're just seeing like a great democratization of content in terms of Mm. these different things that you can do. And what you're also seeing as a counterpoint to this is to Brendan's point with Kickstarter and them taking notice of these things is corporations trying to subvert or co-opt this like things like uh, Vampire and White Wolf now have their 
community generated content garden where they're like, Hey, here's our style guide and you can write for us, mm-hmm. but you put it into our community content thing and then we get a cut of it and it comes. And so, um, we're really kind of at this turning point. It's kind of akin to, um, even just societally, uh, the invention of the, you know, the Gutenberg press where you now have the ability, you don't need a thousand monks scrivening away inside of a monastery to create books anymore. Um, you can go out and you can print whatever you want. And I'm sure there were plenty of people back then, you know, stroking their beards and going, ye tract that was produced by Claudius is most <laughs> offensive to me. You know? and, and it was probably nice. a ton of crap that was getting created. But at the same time, you also had a lot of good stuff that was coming out of it. And you had these things like Martin Luther coming and nailing his treatise on the door and printing it out and sending it to everybody. And it was incredibly disruptive for society as a whole. And I think, you know, with we're seeing that just played out in, in, both macro and micro, um, you know, with mm-hmm. all the fake news and all of that stuff coming out on just, you know, Facebook and the algorithms and Twitter societally. And then you've got all of these different, you know, Kickstarters for all of these things that you could possibly want. Cause for a while there, all I was seeing when I went to the game store was, um, licensed properties. Like I'd go to the game yeah. store and it was, if it wasn't Pathfinder D and D, it was Firefly. It was Dragon Age. It was some licensed book. And I'm actually starting to see now, some of that stuff is still there, but I'm starting to see uh, unique and custom things come out. And a lot of them did launch on Kickstarter first. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, like you said, I have hope for it. I think it's going to be disruptive. I think there's going to be growing pains. And I imagine it will probably be some kind of conflagration that will come up at some point. Um, but, you know, it's power to the people at this point. There's so much stuff we can do, even to the point of user generated content. We're even trying to generate our own content as you know, in, in full metal RPG with our own writing club, like, Hey, we yeah, want to get um, out and everybody and create our real own quick. Stuff. Everybody raise your hand. Who's, uh, who's creating a game right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And that's both, <laughs> both Mark and Steve as well, who we can all see. Yeah. True. It's so, so everybody's two, doing two it. Other There's hands here, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, will I be part of the wheat or will I be part of the chaff? I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. So chaff city, baby. Yeah, it's just going to be hot garbage. Nobody buy it. Oh, man. Um, Actually, let's talk about that for a second. Let's kind of go around. Um, Steve, how's how's your game going? How's how's stuff with that going? Well, let's see. Um, The the first, the core set of Steam Spy, which is a a card game based on uh, creating and fighting mechs. Um, that just got published. I hit the pause mean, button on that a few you days mean, ago. You mean Mechareg? Mechareg? Right. What did Mech-a-rec. I say? I said something. You said Steam Spy. But I appreciate the plug for me. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I stole Mark's game. Okay, no, uh, Mech. yeah. It just got published the other day. I've got a couple other things in the way, uh, and including uh, like the first expansion for, for Mech and some other stuff. And yeah, I'm having a great time with it. Loving it. going to be at uh, uh, Megacon this year with, uh, with Mark and Zach, and, and we're going to have a great time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, Steam Spy, uh, you got yeah, anything? Steam Spy. Um, you, you have the, uh, the GM-less version? The, we have, uh, yeah, well, we thing. have the original was, you know, the two-player game, and then uh, I put out the multiplayer rules a while back. Um, Megacon will be the first time I have that uh, for, for live distribution. It's um, a Steam Spy Stories, right? Steam Spy Stories, yeah, that's uh, yep. multiplayer co-op. Uh, game masterless uh, role playing essentially, and then uh, uh, we haven't. Steve and I have been working together on a, another project for a a solitaire version. So basically, uh, the idea is uh, with Steam Spy, you could play it eventually with one, two, or more people. So 
Yep. That's the awesome. Goal. Definitely. Um, Adam, you working on something? I am working on something. Uh, so I've been working on Ooh. a little like kind of comedy fun module off to the side, writing that up. And uh, it's been going OK. I've, I've been reworking some parts of it and trying to expand it out a little more. Um, it's basically like a, a con game I ran back at Crit Hit last year. Um, called Ponies of Sin. It's My Little Pony crossed <laughs> with Hellraiser. Um, yep. So uh, it's fun. I've been enjoying it. That's very exciting. That is really exciting. Sorry. Skype decided to not like me. Yeah, your video <laughs> froze up there for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had it It restart the Steam or uh, uh, Skype restart on me. Ah, uh, right. But, but Brendan... Um, what is uh work work looking like work work continues we're we're meeting actually for our um game designer club later on this afternoon so uh basically as soon as i'm done with this podcast here i'm jumping in the car with the uh girlfriend and we're going to get a bite to eat and then i'm going to go print up my pages so that i have something to show the game writing club um because adam and i have been like a lot more aggressive about what we're doing with full metal rpg right now um and we have a lot of plans for the future the work on ravenous is like slow but you know i get it in where i can you know you just gotta keep keep plugging away you know it, what, Perfect. one of the things i've learned is that it takes time and i've listened to some other podcasts where some guys are talking about um you know what i was listening to your podcast dog i was listening to your uh, interview with uh mark ds truman and he was talking yeah. about how how laborious uh, the development of Cartel was and how it took him like four years. And so um, that was good. That was good to hear, you know? Yeah, it took him four years. He was working on, you know, he was working with John Wick Presents on, on 7th C2nd. And, uh, and yeah, he was just kind of getting time in when he could. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean. That's, that's kind of how it is. The stuff that we do is incredibly time intensive. Not just the editing and the posting and all that kind of crap, the promotion, but like the getting stuff together so that we have something to talk about. You know, I mean, you got to run the games, and um, oh my God, there's you, Full Metal RPG just has a, a ton of stuff that's going on behind the scenes. So that over yeah. the next like twelve months, I really feel like the the, the feel of that entire experience is going to change and become something that much better on some level than it ever has been but um it's just gonna require so much work that it's it's absolutely insane i sat down yesterday i spent three hours going through a day planner planning out my next six months and i basically just wanted to kill myself mm -hmm. afterwards on so so i could get some rest <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's it's kind of always been a thing with you guys on full metal that you know you you want to be guys that are actually playing a game you said this on your last episode that are actually playing a game instead of being people that talk about this stuff without having, you know, an actual game going. Uh, and I think for you guys that Friday night is, is really, uh, really helping you guys with that. Well, I mean, the Friday night thing did basically give us like a sort of a fulcrum to kind of like move around. Uh, it has prevented me from kind of like relaunching my home game, which is a bummer because I just have so much going on. But, um, the fact of the matter is, is it's it's worth it to be out there in the community and to be interfacing with people who don't know the games that we are um, presenting and who are who are learning to do new stuff. Like seriously, just I mean, seriously, what day is it? Sunday. So two days ago, I was sitting at a table with uh, four players, three of whom 
had never played a game where your character didn't have classes and levels. They had never played a game like that. <laughs> and, I, and I was helping them make characters. And I was like, no, you don't have a class. No, you don't have a level. You know, you're just filling in dots. You have to imagine kind of like, you have to imagine what you want your character to be like and then represent that with dots rather than, you know, derive statistics from a class, you know? And that, that was crazy. That was crazy. Yeah. I heard your weapon discussion and was laughing because I've had that discussion so many times with people where it's just like, you can have whatever's reasonable, but like you're not going to go around with a fully loaded automatic weapon <laughs> and expect <laughs> not to get caught by the cops. Like that's yeah. not that what this yeah. game is. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. That's beautiful. I was looking at some more topics here. Um, <laughs> do you know what Tungent Punks means, by the question, Brendan? Uh, huh? The De La Soul quiz questions? Yeah, De La Soul quiz questions. Oh, yeah, I think we should I, skip I that one. That is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know we know that one, but let's 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 do something else. You said you guys had some seven C questions. Let's get some of yours. I was totally lying about that. Oh, oh yeah, he was, <laughs> yeah. He was blowing smoke up your Ew. ass, bro. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm very gullible. My do my dad. Wanna, do we want to discuss the one about like the heavy lore? How to start a game in a lore heavy setting? Sure, I like that. What was that one? Because yeah. that kind of ties into the mage question from earlier. I mean, very true. Uh, yeah, yeah. At this point, it ties see. into almost anything. But go ahead, uh, uh, Zach. Why don't you read the question? Yeah, who who did that one? That was Breadman seventy three. Oh, Breadman NXVI. I don't. That's I don't. Mark Boardman. Just say Mark Boardman. All right, Mark Boardman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, next one. Mark Boardman on Instagram. Um, okay, so given the huge backstory and complicated alliances and uh, and hatreds between the clans in Vampire, how the hell does a group get started in that heavy lore? It's pretty daunting. Uh, asking for a friend, obviously. Yeah, I know, I know Mark's, Mark Boardman, you are asking for yourself. Uh, don't lie to us. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is... So the, when it comes... Oh, go yeah, ahead. No, go, no, Adam, go. Oh, so I was going to say, this is like the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, Pirates Code. It's more like guidelines. Um, you don't have to do any of the lore crap. Um, and it's there to kind of give you a ready-made, ready-to-go setting. Um, but you don't have to use it if you don't want to. And I think where you started to see this evolve or where this became more of a thing uh, uh, that became clearer was when they launched Vampire the Requiem. Inside of Vampire the Requiem, they very explicitly spelled out, this is a toolkit. Do with it what you want. If you don't like this sort of thing, change it, You know, do something else with it, kind of plug and play all these different things together and build what you want. Um, so don't let the lore hold you back is what I would say, you know, like it's there to give you something to work with. If you want to play a game where the Anarch revolt never killed La Sombra in Zemiche, um, play that game, you know, like go ahead. If you want to play a game where the founding clans of the Camarilla were completely different and the Sabbat was the Tremere and the Gangrel, like feel free to do that. You know what I mean? There's nothing that's to prevent you from doing that aside from, you know, grognards, but fuck those guys, you know, like who, who needs, <laughs> sorry, try, let's try not to swear. But anyway, uh, Hey, Hey, look at the guy sitting next to you. Yeah, I know. He doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Fuck's giving uh, equal no. zero. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you don't need to. You, who are you trying to impress? You know, if you're trying to tell a story and that's important for your story, just do what you want. You don't need to worry about it. Like the lore is there to help you if you want it. And if it's getting in your way, um, toss it out. You don't need it. Like, just throw it away. I will say, like, there's a lot of fun to be have with the lore. And if you do want to get started and you do want to run a lore and you have players who absolutely say, I won't do anything that's not lore focused and lore centric. There are two um, story books that I would recommend you pick up. And one is Giovanni Chronicles, The Last Supper, and the other is Transylvania Chronicles. And that will take you through the Anarch Revolt and the lore of Vampire the Masquerade. And you can play that lore game starting when uh, the lore became more of a thing. Um, And if you really want to get into lore of Vampire, pick up Children of the Inquisition and uh, those books like that, the Splat books and read through them because they'll walk you through. This is who Tyler is. This is who Vlad Dracula is. This is who uh, Hardestad is. This is who all these heavy hitters were at that time um and launch with those but don't feel like it's going to constrain you and i would say the same thing for any white wolf game um it it got to the point where they were pumping all that stuff out and they were like this is the way that the story progresses the way the world is but you don't don't feel constrained by it uh do what you want with it and there's so much great stuff out there and so much inspiring stuff out there uh, that you can have a lot of fun with it so you know just just start playing just play the games I, I well, actually, I actually have. So go ahead, go ahead, go. You go ahead. Well, I was gonna say if you if if it's more a matter of like you've got a bunch of players who are not experienced with it, you don't you worry about kind of burdening them with you know eight books worth of homework right off the bat. Um, they don't like, know. Just, yeah, just well, <laughs> get a new hobby. Make stuff up. No, actually, just um, <laughs> like my trick on that is just uh, uh, just start everybody off with an origin game. Like, boom, you're not vampires and now you are. Like, and suddenly this is a whole new world that you're not supposed to know anything about. Like, work it that way. I mean, that way, you know, they can go in with zero expectations and not have to, like, do any prep work aside from maybe, you know, rudimentary, here's how the rules work, uh, and, and still everyone has fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to kind of, like, just, just riff on, on what Steve's saying because I, I that, that was the, the crux of what I was getting at myself, which is that, like, okay, say, like, I, I like Adam's premise that, well, okay, we don't really care about the, the lore. We can kind of feel free to do what we want. We should always feel free. Like when we, if we feel constrained by a game, then that's like a bad feeling as a GM. You should want to be expressing yourself. Um, but this is with any like lore-heavy game, and at this point, there's like so many of them. You don't just not just the White Wolf games. Say you buy Shadowrun, right? There's like literally five editions of Shadowrun. Each of one mm-hmm. has like thirty or forty books, and you could just totally drown in it. It's very overwhelming as a GM. But you might still Seven C's a perfect example. You 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 might want to have that experience exactly. of like, oh, let's do like a very, very lore heavy game because I want to get into that. And that's a fun feeling when you do get into it. But rather than sitting there and like feeling like you need to read fifty books and then be vomiting out these like info dumps like every session, uh, just start small. You know? All of us, whenever we started a lore heavy game, started small. When I started Vampire the Masquerade back in the day, I had a player's guide, and I had a clan book, and I had the core book. And that's it. I had three books. And I think that that's a great place, especially for like a White Wolf game or for a Shadowrun-type game. The start is you take a core book, you take a player's guide, and then you take one other supplement, and you just explore the material that's in that. Because as you are adventuring and as you are running the sessions... Like, you know, in-game time proceeds much more slowly than out-of-game time, you know? You'll have, like, a, a, a game that is takes place, like, a hostage situation in a 
warehouse or something that you, you could take two, three sessions to explore, and that gives you three weeks, six weeks in real world to be reading books and to start getting that idea of the lore and the meta plot and all that kind of sorted in your head. Now, you're going to make mistakes. Like, every so often you're going to blurt something out like, oh, so-and-so died in the 1400s or whatever, and it's just like, and then you'll read a book and you'll find out that that was wrong, and that doesn't matter. You can either go ahead and retcon it later, or you can um, just make this, like, the new truth of your game, you know? But just, I mean, seriously, just, like, take your time with it. It's like there is no reason to feel the pressure to, like, have memorized 80 books worth of shit, like, straight out the gate. Focus well, on small, street-level problems at the beginning. And right. you can't go wrong. The, to, to your Not, point, like, with the Jihad and the Ascension War and all of that, um, all politics is local. So it's all going to start at the local level. You don't have to start out at the global level. And the other thing is, with regard to making mistakes about characters... White Wolf themselves made a huge mistake with Hardestat. Like, they had Hardestat die, and then he showed up later on. And they retconned it by going, oh, yeah, um, Hardestat the Younger, who was his child, took over for him and was impersonating him. Um, so they did, like, the uh, the City on Fire Ringo Lam thing where they were like, oh, that Chalian Fat, it's his twin brother, and he's back. Um, <laughs> so don't feel bad about that. That kind of stuff is going to happen. And, you know, if somebody, it, you can either go, well, all right, whatever, that didn't happen. Or you can go, well, in my game, that guy's still alive or, or, or he's dead or whatever it needs to be. But yeah. Don't feel bad. Just do what you need yeah. to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, when it now, comes to something like seventh C, um, lore, lore is kind of everything, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's definitely a history based game. Um, what we've kind of always said um, about how much you need to know as a player in 7th C is kind of like it's natural that your character doesn't know a whole lot about other countries because they might just be from that country and haven't traveled or haven't met people from said country. You know, and that's completely normal. That's natural. At that point, you don't have to know everything about this this setting, about uh, about the, the continent, the countries. Now, the other side of this coin, and we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about Star Trek, is the when the players uh, have immersed themselves in, in the lore. Um, you know, when they come in with this knowledge from a supplement that, that the game master probably hasn't gotten to... Um, how how do you guys deal with that? I tell him to piss um, off. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, he, we're you know I I you know pretty much just telling him you're not you know you're not accustomed to uh, to said supplement and move past it. <laughs> yeah, effectively, you, know? you kind of have to tell them like, hey, um, I, I I I'm not. I'm not versed in that, so I'm not going to cover that as part of this game. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, you have to be honest with them. Just deal with them honestly and say, like, hey, I know you're excited about this, but I don't I, I don't know about it. So you either have to put everything on hold and give me time to come up to speed or we just ignore it for now. Yeah. I, I think I think that the greatest rule in role playing and you probably hear it a million times on like our podcast, your podcast, every podcast, but it bears repeating every single time because it's the fundamental answer to all role playing questions is. Define expectations for the group and for the adventure early on. 
And if like some dude's like, oh, well, I really I want to play vampire and I want to play a Drew Bruja scholar of the Book of Nod, be like, yo, dog, this game's about like a bunch of drug dealers in Washington, D.C. who get embraced in, and abandoned in an alleyway in 1989. So we aren't going to be covering that shit. And if we do, it won't be for quite a while. So uh, maybe either this game isn't for you or you need to come up with a character concept that you'd be more comfortable playing within that context. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, goes back to all of our episodes that we talk about getting on the same page. Getting on the same page. Before, before you start the game. You know, character creation, world building, whatever you have. It, you know, just kind of making sure everybody's on the same page and go, hey, yeah. this is what kind of what we want to do. This is what everybody else wants to do. You know, it's like this is kind of too far left field. And, you know, we, we might need to bring you back a little bit. It, it, has anyone here ever tried to run Shadowrun? Anybody? This is, oh, yeah. Shadowrun's like the worst game for Steve trying to get people yeah. on the same page. Like you say oh, to God. like say to four oh. friends, hey, let's play Shadowrun. And they, and like they instantly all come up with like the most preposterous characters, have like nothing <laughs> to do with each other. I love Shadowrun. I hate Shadowrun at the same time because every time I try to run Shadowrun or even think about running Shadowrun, <laughs> Somebody punishes me for it by by telling me what they want to play, and then I'm just like, you know what? I'm over it already. I'm done. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I can exactly. see that. Steve, what are what are your um, experiences with, with Shadowrun? With Shadowrun, I know oh, you've I, talked you've talked about it before. Definitely, I love the setting like dearly, but every Shadowrun game I've ever tried to play turns into Bright pretty quickly. That Netflix movie. Um, I don't know. Like it's I've had I've wasted like whole sessions of just spending like six hours role-playing you know eight seconds of game time in some particularly egregious fight and yeah i don't know like it's not a heavy rules heavy game but for some reason everyone i've ever played it with goes that route with it and it's just been this i don't know uh, i love Shadowrun dearly i love everything related to it except for the game a- amen <laughs> to that brother amen to that <laughs> feel you that's why i listen to neo scum the podcast okay and and leave it at that nice <laughs> Oh, um, this one's kind of interesting from Graham John Parker on Facebook. Uh, GM question here. Have you run a published campaign slash module? And it's become obvious that one of your players have read or played it before and uh, and is is playing based on their prior knowledge. If so, how did you handle it? And if not, how would you handle it? Um, let's start with Adam. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, I have had this come up before and I ended up having to talk to the player about it and go like, Hey, (laughs) you're using player knowledge and you know, you, you can't be doing that. Like there's no reasonable way your character would know this. Um, and so there's, there's two ways you can go with this. If the player goes, okay, I agree. Like, uh, you know, and you can come to terms. That's cool. Um, you can continue on and you can have a good time. If you have my experience where he starts arguing with you and goes, well, actually, uh, I would know this because of blah, 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 blah. And also I took, you know, knowledge of this, blah, 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 blah. And all, then you just go, all right, cool. Um, game over. We're not doing this, uh, which was ultimately what I ended up having to do because <laughs> he refused to stop uh, using the knowledge that he had of the setting and the uh the story to his own advantage um yeah so you know it's a collaborative experience 
that player didn't want to collaborate. He didn't want to play along. He wanted to game the system. So ultimately, I decided um, this is not going to be a good experience for me, and it's not going to be a good experience for the other players because you're trying to run the room. So we're not going to do this. Yeah, um, and, and I stopped playing. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's always the thing of there's the door. If you don't like how we're playing this game and mm -hmm. how I'm the GM is wanting to run this game, mm -hmm. there it is. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, and it's the same as, thing. With as like shitty as that is mm -hmm. to be a GM and going, hey, I need you to go and not play this game anymore. Yeah. Sometimes it's necessary. It gets it back really to what is. we were discussing earlier with Star Trek and the lore heaviness of that and everything. If you have someone yeah. who is just not willing to work with you, you have to say, all right, let's go our separate ways. Don't don't be afraid to just to, you know, break up a game or break up with a player. If that's the case, you, you have to just for everyone's enjoyment. True. Well, you guys do World of Darkness, right? I had one experience with this where I had a, I was doing a World of Darkness campaign and uh, one of the players kept doing this like relentlessly every session. It was driving the other players nuts. I was mm -hmm. kind of rolling with the punches, but, you know, it was it was really cheesing off everybody else. Uh, one of the other players was a, uh, I think it's Nuisha, the the coyotes, the were yeah, the coyote were coyotes, yep. yeah, basically the tricksters, and we had we spent an entire incredibly meta session, um, like that involved uh, like another mage character and a lot of skullduggery and trickery, that basically built around teaching this player, not character, a lesson about abusing out of character knowledge. Um, it was nuts. The whole thing ended up being an incredible amount of fun. Uh, but I don't know if he ever actually learned his lesson. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, we go, we go back to our episode where we talked about the ten player types. Hell yeah! Episode actually, I think it was episode ten. <laughs> you know, our our tenth episode, we talked about the ten different kind of types of players. Metagaming, not players you want to play with. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, Brendan. What do you think about this? Have you have um, you run into this before? Well, I mean, the whole issue of like the meta game—that's I don't know. This, this this gentleman he wants to talk about uh, published modules, right? That's like the scope of his question, basically. I guess. Yeah, it's like you have a module. Like, say you've got beneath, and you're playing with somebody that you know that has played beneath before. Yeah. That's never happened kind of that to me. Experience. That's never happened to me. I think the closest thing that ever happened to this was uh, um, I showed up at a game. This was in high school. And uh, it w we lived in kind of an affluent neighborhood. And uh, this kid who was running the game had a – his parents had a guest house out by the pool, right? And so we were, we were going to play an all-night session in the guest house. And so I show up, and my friend shows up, and we've been told to make World of Darkness characters. And at the time, this was Vampire, right? And you could – in the clan books, in the back, they had these pre-made example characters, right? And mm -hmm. clearly, like, me and my, my buddy had both been lazy, and we had both snatched an example character, but we hadn't told anybody that we had. And over the course of the game, it turned out we were both playing the same example character. <laughs> <laughs> with, like, oh, with, that's awesome. With just these, like, awesome. slightly different tweaks, we had both, like... We had both changed the name, and we had both changed like the, but 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 everything else was the same. So it was kind of like, like this weird mirror match where I was like introducing my character, and I was like, oh, my character is an artist who's a painter, and he's like, my character is an artist who's a comic book artist, and then I was like, oh, my character's family was killed in a tragic accident. He's like, my character's family was killed in a different <laughs> tragic accident. <laughs> And, way uh, more tragic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we were kind of getting in each other's way for like the first oh. few hours of this game. We're getting increasingly annoyed with one another. 
And then I think when we realized what was happening, then it just became a joke. But by then it was like <laughs> three in the morning and everybody was like, you know, uh, wired Roll on fucking yeah. uh, Mountain Dew and cheese sandwiches anyway. So <laughs> nice. Um, I never run into this because I don't like modules. So that's that's my solution for that. <laughs> well, uh, something Mark's, something else kind of similar. Oh, I was going to say Mark's run into this before. He actually ran the same seven uh, C module Urbis Cross with me twice. So did that? Did <laughs> oh, that, that's true. Any oh, that's issues right. for you? That's was, right. I, was I abusing my uh, out of character knowledge in that second well, go through? Well, we we never got all the way through it. I don't think the first time. Mm, yeah. So that that helped. But actually, what I was going to mention was uh, uh, my first role playing game was Star Trek. But the second one I played was uh, the Victory Games James Bond. And what was interesting about that game is the modules were basically the movies. So <laughs> that makes you actually played Dr. No, the whole movie. And, and they'd always throw in some twist so you wouldn't know what to expect. And the twist would be that instead of breaking out a file cabinet, you were breaking into like a Commodore computer. <laughs> that was the only change. But wow, I play that <laughs> but especially as an early role play or early game master, it was a great uh, kind of way to break in that uh, that whole concept of player knowledge versus uh, character knowledge, and uh, you know helped me work out you know with players um, how that worked. Um, but beyond that, I think it's interesting that I feel I I've kind of been on the other side of the coin where I've uh, been into a, a game session and realized that I've read the module and uh, really had to force myself to, to back off and think in terms of that uh, character knowledge. Yeah, that, that actually kind of ties into a question I was going to ask you guys. Um, kind of along the same lines, have you all been in a game or run a game or whatever that's been very very similar or exact to movie plot tv show plot oh et cetera, dude et i'm so happy you asked this this happened to me once when i moved to la and i didn't have any friends i found this 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 uh fucking game game society that was playing i drove i would drive out there to get these world of darkness games and so i was like so stoked to find these guys and uh, i sit down at the table and we're playing a victorian age vampire game right and at some point we have to go meet these like anarchist vampires in london who are um like trying to overthrow the elite aristocratic vampires or whatever and i'm like whatever fine <laughs> and uh the guy is like describing the house we have to kind of break into the house and uh i'm like you know this doesn't seem like victorian uh london architecture it seems like he's working off of a different template in his head just doesn't i was i was, I was like losing immersion you know and then we get into the house and the anarchist vampires are there, and it's a uh, Paper Street Soap Company from Fight Club. I'm like, I was like, <laughs> I'm like, son of a bitch, this is fucking Fight Club. And I never went back. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I, I, yeah, come on, man. I mean, everybody like, we, we, we all riff on shit that we know, and every everybody borrows. But it was just like once I, I could just see it so clearly, and I was just like, ah, I'm done. I'm out. I can't even, I can't even do this anymore. That's awesome. Anybody else had that had that situation happen? I know I have. I can't, I can't think of a specific example, but I'm usually sure what I've done is Star Trek. Probably, <laughs> but usually what I try to do is take something from a very different show, like maybe 
take an episode of Mission Impossible and apply that to Star Trek. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of a good way of giving it a twist and uh, coming up with ideas and uh, but but give, presenting them in a different way. Um, yeah, that's all. That's all I can think of. Awesome. Uh, I think one last question I think we're going to do uh, might be a little lengthy. So that's why I'm making it the last one. <laughs> um, is there your, you know, what is your ideal game? Like Mark, Mark knows this question better than I do because it's Mark's question. <laughs> but as the host, I feel like I'm the one that needs to ask the questions. <laughs> Mark, Fair. go ahead and ask that question for me. Basically, and I think we've talked about it on our show. Um, I, 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 the question is, and, and Steve and I have used this as our convention question is, what do you look for in a role-playing experience? And I, I'm really kind of excited about asking you guys because I feel like, um, you know, my background is a little bit more historic or, or heroic uh, experiences, you know, looking for that kind of heroic stuff. And I know you guys go much, much more darker, more of an atmospheric kind of uh, thing. So um, that's why I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, get to, Hear your answers, Brendan. Oh yikes! Okay. Um. <laughs> All right. Never mind, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm making Brendan do it because it builds character. All right. All right. So, um, look, I I'm kind of tough to please as a as a player. I I think I have I spent so much time in the GM chair that uh, there I I can be problematic. As a player, I acknowledge this about myself. Um, what's important to me when I'm playing is that uh, I, I want someone to surprise me. Because I'm a GM, I've done this a million times before. If I'm sitting there playing your game and I'm like figuring it out faster than the story is evolving, or if um, uh, on some level I feel like the players, the other players, are taking it in some weird direction that seems nonsensical to me, then I, I tune out real quick. Uh, I, I, I want to be exposed to something I haven't, I couldn't think of myself. You know what I'm saying? Ooh. I really want to see something I haven't, couldn't think of myself. I want it to be presented in a way that I find immersive. So if as long as your game has those two things, then boom. You know, and of course, like chemistry at the table. I always want good chemistry at the table. I always, I always want to play people who are fun and who are having fun. You know, um, I always say that I like to um, play with my friends and be friends with who I play with. And so if I sit down at a table and I don't know anybody there and by the end of it I'm, like, collecting Instagram IDs and phone numbers and shit, then, then I'm stoked. That's a, good, that's a good game session. Yeah, yeah. Part of, nice. the, part of that is, you know, knowing the expectations that are, you know, the things that are expected of you as a GM – and kind of expecting that in the GM that's running the game for you. You know, definitely. Um, I'll jump in here. Part of me kind of feels like, um, you know, I, I go back to our our first 7th C experience, Mark. Yeah. Uh, kind of, you know, not knowing these people, jumping into a game, and having so much, I don't know, chemistry. I don't know if it's a bad, bad word, but, um, you know, connecting so well uh for yeah. not knowing each other not knowing anybody 
Yeah, um, I agree. And and still being able to joke, still being able to to laugh and and you know have fun while playing this game. You know, again, again, I always go back to part of it is the fact that everybody knew the game system already in the setting, uh, so there wasn't that that learning curve. It just allowed us to jump right into into character. But yeah, something something like that where you just sit down and you have a good time. You know, you're 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 really just connecting with the people at the table. You're not, you know, something. I I probably said it in the episode with Brendan. Um, Jim McClure always tells this this story about not being. Like he was playing L five R, and uh, and being these people at the table, but in the situation you weren't these people they weren't jim they weren't they weren't the players they were the characters in the game which is really important in a in a game mm-hmm. honestly uh steve do you have do do have have you were you on that episode when we talked about it i think we yeah. talked about oh the cool. what, you look for in a video or in a video game um in a video game yeah yeah yeah, no, yeah. and I, I think we went over it before but i'll, I'll kind of give you a, the recap on it basically and it's like narrative intensive uh, really really narrative heavy uh games where it's uh you know all about the story and the best games are where it's not just the gm that who's presenting the story like you know there's some degree of 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 player collaboration with the narration uh, I think is really what what makes things pop because you know if it's just the GM then you're just basically it's you know masturbation you're just you're just you're just telling the story that you've already written but once the players start making things crazy then that's really where it comes alive and everything gets really fun. Awesome, Adam. Yeah. So um, I mean, for me, the number one thing is: am I having fun? Uh, I will forgive an almost hilariously ludicrous amount of bullshit uh, as long as I'm having fun playing the game. I mean, you know, for Christ's sakes, I ran a game about ponies and Hellraiser mixed together. Um, <laughs> like, uh, as long as I'm having a good time, that to me is the, is the primary focus of a role playing experience. And, you know, I love horror gaming. Um, I've also had really fun sessions where everybody was just kind of riffing on stuff in a Monty Python kind of way. Um, I've had really great sessions where we were just a fantasy war band out to, you know, save the world. And I've also had one, you know, good sessions where we were kind of these evil characters going out and just slaughtering everyone we came across and basically being murder hobos. Um, as long as I'm having fun at the table, that's the number one thing. And so, uh, you know, I, I try not to let the rules get in the way of the story and the rules get in the way of the fun. Um, you know, I try not to be too focused on this is the direction I want the story to go in. And, you know, nothing kills it for me faster than someone being very heavy handed um, to that point of like, you know, if you're just the GM and you're forcing the narrative and everything else, it's masturbation. So don't do that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've had to leave groups because of that. I've had to leave groups where the GM very clearly had a a particular acute vision for what the game was. And it was not matching up with what I wanted out of it or what the other players mm-hmm. wanted out of it. And it was one of those things where it's like, you know, do we continue doing this or do we just go, OK, well, let's stop and do something else. Um, and everybody just wants out of it. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody mm-hmm. just wants out of it. You know, it's like if you're going to force me to, you know, play this character who's living by, you know, your idea of what the code of Bushido is. Um, mm. I don't necessarily want to play that. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you're going to sit here and tell me, well, you know, in reality, the, and you're going to sit here and dictate to me how my character would act, then just play the character for me. Um, and, and I'll just sit here and we can treat Ooh. it like it's a like it's a reading night. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think Brendan said it on one of the podcasts. I don't know. I don't know. I probably could have heard it this somewhere else. But the uh, the well actually guy, <laughs> right? Was that you, Brendan? You had an episode. Uh, oh, we, we do we do that? talk about that guy every yeah. so often. But yeah, you don't you don't want a well actually guy, <laughs> you know, at the table. Yeah, particularly it's, as a GM, and you know, even as a player, but particularly as a GM, you don't want that guy. You don't want that guy dictating your game to you, mm-hmm. um, and you don't want him dictating the game to the other people at the table. Now, if he's telling you, well, actually, my character wouldn't do that, then you got to go, okay, fine, um, that's cool. But if he's telling, yeah. well, actually, hardest stat, and then you're like, all right, fine, we're we're done here. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to anything based on the setting or the lore or anything like that, you know, rules, like, I don't care about rules. I don't care. If I get a rule wrong, oh, well, (laughs) you know, I always say we didn't really learn the full rules to 7C until like two months ago. (laughs) You know, we would have have we really learned them all yet? No, probably not. Part of me thinks it's always changing, but I'm like, mm, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, how is no. this book morphing in my hands? It's not. <laughs> this page has it's been not. here all along. How'd that work? <laughs> oh, I forgot these three words in this sentence. <laughs> oh, man. But, um, Brendan, plug yourself and wow. Adam oh. simultaneously. Oh, hey, wait a minute. Hey, well, let's <laughs> yeah. this. Didn't know this it was that de- kind of show. This is definitely I'm not gonna, a family I'm show. A, All right. So- I'm going to edit that out. No, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to keep it in. Fuck it. Oh, I don't care. There you go. It's Full Metal RPG. There's no rules. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Full Metal RPG, you know, we release uh, episodes on the 15th and the last day of every month. You can find us on iTunes or on your podcast aggregator. Please search for us, Full Metal RPG. Subscribe, like, and uh, leave a five-star review if you're able to. Uh, we really appreciate that. Come check us out. Uh, the best way to find us uh, not in podcast form is Instagram, where we are at Full Metal RPG. Also, we have a group on Facebook, the same name. And if you want to reach us via email, check us out, uh, fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com. That's one word. Uh, I'm always looking to interact with listeners uh, and get to know people. It's more fun that way. And we are doing a fucking shit ton of giveaways right now. So we just do, we're doing like a giveaway a month, and it's good stuff, guys. So come find us, get at us, follow us, like us. Whatever. Uh, Zach, thank you for having us on, man. Thank you for giving us a platform to talk about stuff. And uh, Mark and Steve, it's a pleasure to hang with you guys, as always. As and if you, you didn't too, like yeah. what we had to say, we're Dungeon Punks out of Portland. <laughs> so, sorry, I mean, we're Dungeon Punks out of Portland, mate. Yeah, port- <laughs> port- port- Portland. Portland no, we're, we're in England, actually. It's, it's transposed uh, into England. We've moved it over there. <laughs> pip pip god save the queen uh, oh oh hell and that's it for this episode of tabletop radio hour like always you can find this episode on soundcloud.com slash tabletop radio hour and on itunes you can find us on twitter at tabletopcast if you have any questions or comments we also have an email address that is tabletopradiohour at yahoo.com. Our website, 
tabletopradiohour.wordpress.com. You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. I want to thank you all for listening, and keep rolling 20s.